Hey guys, today we're going to talk about uh, something more legal, so something different than the usual probably, uh, but something that touches uh, the lifespan of every startup out there as far as I know. And the topic is stock options for employees, right? Which is something like maybe very complicated. So uh, today I want to break it down in a way that I'm going to highlight what are the main variables, the main terms. Uh, into uh, any stock option you know where they have a like an idea benchmark of what is reasonable uh, and what are the best practices in the field uh, I'm gonna report based on what I read um, you know uh, what happens in the Silicon Valley as well as uh, from personal experience by uh, giving like stock options to, to our employees um, so I have like a little bit of both perspective both of the perspectives uh, so I'm gonna try to um, give you like an outline uh, of what's possible uh, so first of all, you need to keep in mind that stock, stock options are nothing else than a contract. So the terms that I'm going to discuss in a second are nothing else than the terms of the contract that can be adjusted to, um, you know, to the to the case, to, to the type of company, any type of employee. Um, but I would say you have like a very high degree of customization. Uh, but the option, uh, what you cannot customize is the way an option works. That is, uh, you assign the right to a person, the holder, to buy a certain uh, underlying asset, in this case the, the, the shares in your company, at a price that you decide today. Uh, and the bet for the holder of the option is that uh, the price that uh, of, the, of the asset uh, tomorrow is going to be higher than the price uh, of, the, of the option. Uh, so in a second we're going to uh, walk through all these terms. So first of all, um, we need to decide who needs uh, so who deserves uh, the options, right? So you need to identify which kind of, uh, what kind of company you want to build. Uh, so re this really depends on the culture. And uh, the choice of who you want to entitle with stock options will also determine most of the terms you're going to choose for those kind of contracts. Um, usually the, the common practice is to reward with stock options early employees, I would say like the first uh, up to 10 employees beyond the founders. Why? Because they are the, uh, they basically are, uh, are like founders or they've been working as founders so you want to make sure that you you, uh, you uh, keep them uh, throughout the life of your startup right so uh, if this is the case then you should definitely uh, make sure that they feel rewarded and they feel like that they're going to take part of the of the gains of an exit uh, in some companies uh, stock options are uh, just given to all the new uh, the new employees uh, irregardless uh, so also this also implies that the terms are stricter uh, because yeah you're basically uh, you know giving away shares to everybody so you need to make sure that uh, not everybody can actually get them. Uh, I, I heard it in Uber is kind of common practice to give options to everybody, but they also give uh, very strict terms to convert them uh, or you know in case they leave earlier. So uh, as you will see later. Uh, this is going to be more clear. So first of all, who? The second point is how much. So how much uh, in terms of equity percentage will the contract, the stock option, uh, entitle the older to? Uh, there is no common rule on this. It really depends on the person that is getting the options. Uh, for some ideas, you can also look at angel list. There are like um, there are like some uh, uh, some offers for for developers. These kind of things with stock option ranging from 10% of the equity to 2% of the equity. Uh, keep in mind that that 
the, the, or whatever percentage it is, it needs to be converted in a number of shares at the moment in which the option is issued. Uh, and this is very important, right? Because uh, percentages are relative, but number of shares is nominal and that's fixed. So if you issue the option today, it's gonna, uh, um, it's gonna have a certain number of, of shares underlying and that, that number is fixed, meaning that the holder of, the, of that option so the potential buyer of those shares is also subject to future dilution, just like any investor that would invest today for the same number of options, right? Um, if you would just like say 2% or whatever percent, then basically you are like, they're not diluting. And well, I would say it's very, very favorable in the terms of, uh, in the perspective of the employee, uh, not in your perspective as a founder, nor in the perspective of investors so um, you know if they you know they're, they're most likely gonna stop you <laughs> whenever you try to get their approval another important aspect of um, I would say the, the, the basic terms of, a, of any stock option is the type of shares uh, they're gonna give or you're gonna um, basically they're gonna be underlying the contract right so um, it can be common shares uh, I would say it's never ever preferred shares and that's not the case that's something that you only give to uh, to VCs of our kind of investors so it's always like uh, the junior level shares or common shares or even uh, a step below there can be non-voting uh, shares so meaning meaning that uh, yeah they are not entitled to vote even when they uh, they convert right um, this is common practice uh, in some geographies uh, it's also common practice to uh, make a uh, well, you, you have to do a uh, option pool, meaning that you reserve a number of shares uh, for any stock option holder uh, of the future, and that pool is uh, is allocated in a separate entity. So uh, when you get like a stock option, you don't get like the option on the shares directly that the this company uh, owns, but rather on the shares or certificates can be. Uh, of this new entity, right? This is the case uh, of a foundation. So let's say you allocate 10% to your option pool. So that 10% from your company goes into this foundation and the foundation then issues um, stock options on the certificates of the foundation. So uh, the foundation is gonna be man managed by the company and the employee will own certificates in this foundation, right? Uh, meaning that it's gonna be entitled to all the economic rights uh, so any exit, any upside is going to be just like shares, uh, common shares in your company, but it will have less impact in uh, the business decision. So this could be advantageous, especially in the perspective of the founders and the investors, right? Uh, it can be pretty troublesome to to make every single little investor to vote. Uh, I mean, then they probably would spend more time doing administration than running your company. So that could be one of the, uh, the ways to go about that. Uh, the, another very, very important term, and I would say one of the most important terms of uh, any stock option contract and what separates this, uh, this type of contract from uh, any other is the strike price. Meaning that when you issue the option today, when you enter the contract, you decide at which price the holder of the option will be able to exercise the option, right? So if you're giving away 10,000 shares right, uh, that are part of the option, you also need to determine which price they're gonna convert, right? So you can say 10, 10 dollars, 10 euro, uh, meaning that as long as the price 
at exit or whenever there is you know whenever uh, the employees get to sell the shares whatever uh, whenever the price is higher than 10 then he's gonna get a capital gain and as a, as a consequence uh, an economic benefit so how do you uh, determine uh, the strike price um, there are different ways to go about that in most geographies is something that uh, the managing directors or the board of directors of the company uh, determine. Um, so if you're issuing the stock uh, stock option today, I say it's uh, 1st of January 2017, then you should rely on the fair market value of the company at that time. Um, and that, how is that determined? Well, it can be determined by the board of directors. It can be determined by an external company. It can also be related to a recent funding round, right? So. Um, usually in, in the States at least this is determined once a year uh, as part of the the disclosure for the 409a which is uh, a part of the income declaration of employees for stock related compensations uh, I will not dive too much into the details of this also because it's not my field of expertise but uh, there are companies uh, taking care of this aspect for um, for the startups and this allows also the startup to uh, to pass on the responsibility to the other company. Uh, in most cases, there is as simple as relying on uh, a fraction of the last funding round, especially when we're talking about like uh, valuations that we know uh, being probably determined by the momentum, so what the investors are willing to pay, but that may differ from the fair market value. Um, so it can be a fraction of that. Uh, it can also be that the uh, valuation firm or whatever firm does it uh, has to use other types of valuation. Um, so this is uh, this is something important, but the principle I would say is keep it uh, keep it fair, and that's why it's called fair market value for two reasons: a, uh, in the perspective of the the employee that gets the option, and b, in the perspective of tax reasons, um, because if you misprice that or like largely misprice because it, and there is like a quite a quite a margin of error uh, then you may run into um, some kind of uh, auditing uh, it's rare but it can happen okay so once you have the the person uh, you want to give the shares to how many shares it's gonna get um, that it is fully diluted I'm sorry I have to read all the, the points um, you know the type of shares you're gonna give like common shares um, other types, non-voting shares, uh, you know, the strike price. So now what you need is a vesting period or a vesting schedule, right? Meaning that it's not that you give the option for 10,000 shares and from day one, the employee will get the right to uh, exercise those shares at exercise date. No, you give them 10,000 shares that they're gonna be vested, meaning that the, the right to exercise that full number is gonna accrue over time, right? Uh, so, what's the average du uh, duration for that? Uh, everywhere I read, I see four years, meaning that 10,000 shares uh, will only be exercisable in full at the end of the, of the, the four years when the exercise date is set. Right? And another aspect is uh, the cliff, it's also called the cliff, meaning that a period, a threshold before which if the employee leaves for any reason, the, the option holder uh, leaves, then he loses the right to the all option. Usually that is set at one year. So if you stay for the company less than one year, then you lose the entire uh, right to the stock option, you just lose it. So um, 
So now we have like a vesting period. So we said uh, usually it's four years with one year cliff. At the end of four years, there is the exercise date uh, from which the employee can exercise the options. And, then, and later on, we're going to see what is the duration of the exercise period, um, because that is also a very important term to discuss and to include. Um, now we need to also determine which kind of vesting schedule we're going to follow. So, okay, we know the one-year cliff, but that's different. We, what we can decide among is, um, is it going to be linear? So the 10,000 shares that we mentioned before, are they going to accrue on a monthly basis? Every year, every month, the same over the next four years. Uh, that one, that's one way of, do, of doing that. And also you need to determine what is the, um, the, vesting unit of between uh, within that uh, the, the period of four years right so if you say it's going to be linear so every month the same uh when are you going to account for the option the the shares as vested is it going to be every day is it going to be every two weeks it's going to be every month usually it's, it's every month it can also be every quarter every six months uh, six months uh, what does this imply well it implies that if uh, if you have like monthly schedule a monthly schedule right if the employee reaches uh, doesn't reach the end of a certain month then it doesn't get the option uh, the, the shares of that one month right meaning that if you have a, uh, a uh, quarterly investing then if it doesn't reach the end of a certain quarter then it doesn't get the shares for the entire quarter right the other um, way of doing that well it can be actually quite creative with this uh it can be linear but it can also be uh non-linear and an example something i read quite recently and i heard that snapchat is using that uh it's called the back loaded back and loaded sorry back and loaded means that you uh you still have the four years of vesting but uh every year has a different percentage of the ten thousand shares in this case that vest right so in the case of snapchat i heard is 10% the first year, 20% the second, 30 the third, and 40 uh, the fourth year. Uh, why this different type of vesting compared to the linear is very simple. You want to keep the incentive for the employee to stay as long as possible with the company, even after the cliff, right? So in the case, in the case of Snapchat, let's say you have 10,000 shares, so you get um, 2,500 shares at the end of the first year, if it was linear, so you pass the cliff, so that's what you're entitled, entitled to. With Snapchat, you just get 10%, so you just get 1,000 shares, and then it goes up faster later on. So that's called the backhand uh, loaded, something that I came across quite recently. I think it's, it's very smart. Um, and uh, this is just one of the examples of how creative you can be, because in the end of the day, you are tailoring the contract, and you can see what works best uh, for you, right? Um, your, your lawyer can advise you or you can just find some material or you can even like, for instance, use this video, right? Okay, so now we covered all the aspects uh, from, you know, granting the option to the period of vesting. So what happens after the vesting period, right? So as I mentioned before, there is the exercise date. So uh, from that moment on, from at the end of the vesting, the option can be exercised, but it cannot be exercised forever. That's where the exercise period or the exercise duration uh, comes in and this is like a very very tricky aspect right because in any option contract you are expect, expected you the, as the holder of the option you are expected to pay the uh, the strike price right um, cash meaning that um, 
if you have 10,000 shares that vested and the strike price is 10, then you have to pay 100,000 cash to the company, right? Uh, doesn't it sound like a contradiction compared to the fact that stock options are supposed to, you know, give incentives, you know, when companies cannot pay in the form of cash? It kind of does. Truth is, if you extend the exercise period long enough, you can give time to the employee to wait for an exit when, let's say that the exit gives a price pressure of 20, very, very simple. So the employee can buy shares because of the option at 10. So he's supposed to pay 10, but at the same time he gets 20. So instead of getting 20 and paying, it just like nets out the equation, right? So he gets 10 net out of that without having to pay upfront cash and taking the risk of not being able to to get any good exit, right? So that's why I'm saying it's a very, very tricky aspect because depending on the kind of people you want to give the option to, the kind of com company you want to build around the stock option aspect, um, that exercise date uh, can really make the difference, right? The longer it goes, the, sim the more similar it gets to, um, to actually owning shares, directly shares in the company without uh, actually having the voting rights, these kind of things. But it's very, very similar if you think about that. With the only difference that the owners of a share gets, in the case of an exit as before, gets 20 out of 20, you get 20, uh, 10 out of 20 because you have to pay the strike price. Still, considering that uh, you didn't have to do any, well, that's not true that you didn't have to do any effort, but uh, considering that it was, meant to give you the you know the financial upside of an exit and you know keep the incentives aligned till the exit well it kind of worked out right yeah about this topic i forgot to mention that um i heard and i i remember reading that for instance companies like uber that give stock options quite to everybody that joins the company at a certain level uh they give an exercise period of only 90 days after the uh uh the exercise date you know at the end of the vesting why well because probably they're giving away so many that um, you know they don't want to have like best surprise for the investors later on. I mean and that kind of, of you know that size of a company, I would say kind of makes sense. If you're giving away like hundreds of stock options, um, you also want to protect the interest of your investors. And in that case, we know that they have like quite a lot of investors and they're quite quite powerful, powerful, right? So it makes sense that they have a very short exercise period. As much as this penalizes uh, those employees that let's say work four years for the company and get to the point of uh, exercising the option, but they don't have the cash. So maybe they have to, you know, go and bank overdraft and these kind of things just to, you know, put together the capital to pay for, uh, for the strike price. Um, so it can be a little bit tricky. So make sure that, uh, you know, if you're an employee or per prospective employee in a, uh, in a, in a startup, make sure that you look into that. And on the other hand, uh, I just read an article from uh, Andreessen Horowitz, the, the VC firm in, in San Francisco that is advocating for um, options that give a 10-year exercise period, basically giving uh, founders the same right as, a, as a, sorry, uh, employees the same rights as, as uh, stock owners. Um, they also highlight some of the possible drawbacks of this, of this approach, but overall I would say if you, your incentive is to reward your early employees and only keep people uh, with the same kind of financial returns or expected financial returns that as, as you as a founder, uh, the longer the exercise period, the better. Uh, 10 years, maybe it's a little bit too long. It's like too advantageous, but try to find the right compromise with, with the employee. Two last 
um, variables or aspects that I would like to consider today. Uh, these are, I would say, minor compared to the ones I covered today so far, um, but can also be something that you want to look into before uh, starting to, you know, make any stock option agreements with your with your employees. Uh, the first is the tax implications, and this is very peculiar of the your geography in your country. Um, in line of principle, if you are a stockholder and you have the strike price and the fair market value of the company, right? So let's say that you were granted the stock option two years ago at 10 strike price, and today the company says that the fair market value of, of the firm is um, in, in price per share is 15. The difference, 10, 15, so the difference five, um, as much as you did not realize that because it's just hypothetical, it can be considered a capital, well, it is considered a capital gain under uh, a lot of perspectives, especially a tax perspective. So in some legislations, they may ask you to pay taxes on the capital gain as much as you didn't realize that because on paper, the taxes are on paper, you are richer by five per share, right? Um, truth is, this is changing. Um, you know, the, the incentive of the regulator is never to penalize, uh, you know, people with, with, with the taxes, but rather to, um, you know, to, add taxes on realized income, not unrealized, right? So it's something that you may want to look into. I would say that uh, this is a problem that every company, you know, in every legislation uh, went through. So there are most likely uh, ways to work around that and any legal firm can advise you on that. Or you can also look it up yourself, like, you know, like we did and also we worked with our legal firm on that. Uh, but uh, there are definitely there are definitely ways uh, to, you know to prevent that from happening um, you just need to be a, a little bit careful and also uh, I would say the legislator is trying to adjust uh, to, to this kind of new uh, instrument especially in Europe where it's less uh, known but it's getting there right the final again minor aspect that I want to consider is um, the distinction between bad and good liver so uh, you want to protect your company if you're the founder you want to protect your company from uh, malicious behaviors so you want to have a definition in your agreement of what defines a, a bad lever, right? So an employee that misbehaves, that uh, as a consequence does not make him worth, uh, you know, to be part of, 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 your, of your shareholders in the end of the day, right? So there are like some limit cases, you know, like uh, even the law protects you anyway. Uh, again, this is like more legal terms, but keep in mind that there is a way to limit anyway, regardless of all the terms I consider, there is a way to protect your company from uh, from employees that misbehave uh, and this is called the bad liver uh, as opposed to the good liver uh, if when you are a good liver so you leave the company the employee leaves the company in good terms right because of it can be any problem imagine that an employee has like has needs to move out uh, you know needs to I don't know has like health issues so it can be any problem well that certainly is a good liver as much as something unexpected it can be a bummer for the company but hey you know you cannot do anything about it, it didn't misbehave it just happened so in that case, it's a good lever, and then you just apply all the terms that we discussed so far. When it's a bad lever, a bad lever is somebody who just uh, exploits the uh, contract for his own purposes and then uh, clearly uh, has a malicious behavior, for instance, like he stole money from a company, these kind of things, right? Um, these are all common practices. Any lawyer will, will help you with that. Um, so we also made a template based on our experience with uh, with the Dutch legislation and um, we're going to make it available to you 
uh, in the link here below the video. And uh, for anything else, uh, I would still recommend to look for the assistance of a legal expert. Expert. Uh, I'm just talking about. Uh, I'm just talking out of my personal experience as a founder uh, to give you to give you a guideline of what to expect. I hope this helps you, and uh, see you in the next video.